right, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us tonight as we come to study your word. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds uh, to your word, that we may see and understand clearly the nature of sin and confession and absolution. Uh, We pray that we would be blessed by your word and comforted by your word. We pray all this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so uh, last week we started this topic of confession and absolution. Uh, chapter is called Confession is Good for the Soul. I kind of like that title, so made it onto the whiteboard. Um, we're going to finish, continue that and try, try and finish that discussion tonight. Uh, we'll see how much we, how far we get. Um, but by way of review, this is kind of what we covered last week. We covered a couple uh, definitional type things. Uh, what do these words that, that come up in this discussion uh, mean? What are they talking about? And then we uh, ended by looking at the Bible and what it has to say about confession and absolution. So the, the term confession, remember, uh, is has to do with speaking the truth. So sometimes we talk about confession as in we make a good confession of the faith or the Lutheran confessions uh, are what we believe, uh, meaning we're speaking the truth about doctrine. Or in this context of confession and absolution, we're speaking the truth about our own sin. We're confessing our sins, um, telling the truth about how we have sinned, um, either to the pastor uh, primarily or to uh, each other or in our hearts or in our prayers to God. So, um, excuse me, I just bit my tongue while I was saying that. Um, not metaphorically, literally. <laughs> literally bit my tongue. Um and it, and it kind of hurt. Okay. Uh, repentance is um, the, the other big word that came up. And we talked about how repentance has two parts, right? Uh, and we talked about how repentance is kind of a, the, the word literally means to like turn around or turn another way. And you can think about the way in which someone is, um, whether they are in the way of Christianity or the way of sin. Um, but to 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 turn around, but that involves uh, the confess confession of our sin, and also receiving God's absolution, receiving His forgiveness, uh, recognizing His grace in our lives. Right, this is uh, confession and absolution. It's one of the means of grace. That's the section of the book that we're in, um, or as I like to refer to it, um, or we talked about last week a little bit how it's it is a sacrament in a way, um, whether or not you want to count it as one of the major sacraments or how that's a made-up word, so uh, you can define it how you want, but um, or a word not in the Bible rather, but uh, it is a sacrament in the sense that there is the institution of this by Jesus, there is the physical pastor there um, in the primary sense that we're talking about and there is the promise of forgiveness of sins. Um, but anyway, repentance, to, to truly repent, means to receive that grace, um, as well as the confession of the sins. Absolution um, is that applied forgiveness of sins. So that one's pretty basic. But um, to, to be absolved of sin is to receive that forgiveness, receive that grace. Uh, conscience was the other term we talked about. Um, 
and our conscience is that innate sense in us of uh, what is right and wrong, God's law written on our heart, right? God tells us he writes on our hearts his law. And um, I said here, it's acted on by the law, right? So the, the, the book talked about this. We talked about this, that whenever God's um, law is applied to us, we talked about law and gospel a while back, whenever God's law is applied to us, that can strike our conscience and um, inform our conscience that we need to repent of sin, right? And we also talked about how consciences are uh, malleable in this way. They are, uh, they are, or maybe even better than malleable, consciences are organic, right? They're part of who we are as people. Um, in other words, they can be, we talked about a couple different words, they can be healthy consciences, meaning there's a very good sense of what God's law is, what right and wrong is. They can be unhealthy in the sense that we have um, hardened them to the point of not seeing clearly what God's law is. Uh, they can be hardened is another word, right? They can con- Our consciences can, uh, the more someone practices sin in an unrepentant way, the conscience can be hardened to think that that's no longer a sin, right? So the conscience is a uh, organic type of thing. And we're going to come back to that uh, topic later. One of the things we want to deal with tonight is uh, the question that Marsha asked last week um, about if all sins are equal. And we're going to talk about how sin is an organic reality um, in someone's life. That uh, I think sometimes that this will make more sense when we get to it, but sometimes people think of sin as, as purely a concrete thing. Like there there is... Uh, there is simply like a commission or an omission of sin, a sin of commission or a sin of omission, and then um, like that's that's that. Someone has sinned and all sins are equal. And um, we're going to talk about how sin doesn't exactly work that way in reality. So um, we'll get to that later, so don't worry about that. But uh, I want to give that sense of concrete versus organic um, to start off with. Yeah, Marcia. Yeah. Little watching cartoons, the angel always sat on the yeah. right side and the devil. Yeah. Right. And that's that's how I. Yeah. Right. Conscious. So like that's that's totally good. Um, I mean that is a, in some ways a representation, right, um, of of the conscience that you you have this sense of right and wrong. Um, the the only thing I would say is like, we should be clear that it's not actually an angel and actually a demon. that's like living in your conscience, right? It's just, um, that's not exactly what it is, but but that representation is fine, yeah. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Repentance. Mm -hmm. When you ask for repentance, say for instance, I'll take an example. Ask for repentance was something that happened 20-something years ago. Mm -hmm. But recently it has come back in my Mm -hmm. conscience. Yeah. But that was 20 years ago. So why uh, does 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 God forgive me? Because I assumed that I was forgiven. Yeah. There, um, so the Bible talks about uh, sins that we know and don't know. So the the Psalms especially will pray for forgiveness of sins that we don't know or remember, right? That aren't um, on our minds. And so. Um, we do certainly pray for forgiveness, and God is 
abundant in his mercy, and so he will forgive our sins even when they're not known. Um, and so, first of all, I would say, yes, like it's not that you weren't forgiven before that sin came to your mind. But when that sin comes to your mind, uh, whenever by the Holy Spirit you hear something in God's law or something works on your conscience uh, to bring that sin to mind, um, it is also completely appropriate to then, now that you know about it, uh, confess it and receive that direct absolution, right? So whether that's in you know prayer or whenever we have the moment of silence in the church, we're going to talk about all the different forms of confession and absolution in a moment. But um, when, so Luther makes this distinction in the catechism, right? When he's talking about confession and absolution, he says, uh, the sins we don't know, we should ask forgiveness for um, in a general way, and as we do in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The sins that specifically bother us and weigh on us, uh, we should go to confession absolute. We should partake in a confession and absolution for um, to get that specific forgiveness of sins for that. Um, and that is all, in some sense, for the sake of the conscience, right? It's to ease the conscience. So, um, because when you don't know the sin, it obviously doesn't bother your conscience in the same way that it does when you do know of it. And so you want to hear that forgiveness, receive that forgiveness for that sin. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of both and. Yeah. Any other questions or comments? Okay. So then, uh, just to wrap up our review here, uh, we looked at the Bible, uh, John 20, where in the upper room, um, when Jesus breathes on his disciples, and we kind of talked about that ordination of those pastors in some way of uh, that this is part of the the um, spirit that that God gives he breathes on them gives them the spirit and says if you forgive the sins of anyone they are forgiven if you do not forgive them they are not forgiven and Matthew 16 also where that's kind of repeated um, this is earlier on in Jesus ministry where Peter makes the confession which by the way today uh, January 18th is the commemoration of the confession of Saint Peter and um, we didn't have a service for it or anything, but it's very appropriate that we're talking about Matthew 16 tonight. Um, that Peter makes the confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church. If you, uh, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. If you, uh, buy, if you release the, uh, if you release anyone, uh, and on earth they are released. If you retain them, they are retained in heaven. Um, yeah, I can't remember which bind. You know, it's you know, retain, bind, whatever it is. Uh, the, but the image there is that the the disciples, the pastors, or the the apostles there, um, rather more appropriately, the apostles are given the keys to the uh, gates of heaven, right? And they're opening and closing heaven for people. In other words. Uh, and we see how that plays out in John 20 when we find out this is exactly about the forgiveness of sins. That um, the uh, part of the means of grace, the gospel that Jesus institutes in His church, is for pastors to um, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to someone who is a repentant sinner, and to um, bind someone who's unrepentant. Right? Uh, to inform someone that. Their sins are not forgiven if they remain in their sin, if they refuse to turn, if they refuse to repent, right? So, um, we got we, those are the that's the biblical foundation for this. So, 
I, I just want to, um, and this is what I was ending on last week, the main point of the Bible, uh, well, obviously there's all the theology involved in those passages, but the one thing I really want to emphasize is that the idea of pastors doing confession absolution is biblical. And it's not, um, while it has fallen out of practice widely in the Lutheran church, I'm talking specifically about private confession absolution, the uh, idea of pastors being the ones to forgive sins. So sometimes people even find it weird if they come from outside the Lutheran or Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox church and they come to a Lutheran church and just at the beginning of the service, uh, the pastor says, um, upon this your confession, uh, I, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the forgiveness of uh, sins unto you and uh, so on and so forth, right? Um, I can always do it from memory like on Sunday morning when I'm like <laughs> in the zone. But then when I'm like, it's like not exactly Sunday morning, I can't, I'm not in the, I'm not in the zone. So, uh, but yeah, upon this, your confession, I forgive you your sins, right? So people will find that weird that the pastor is forgiving them their sins, right? But uh, we see here that that is actually a very biblical idea. Um, yeah, Marcia. Gerhard, is that right? Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. So anyway, I think his middle name to people, houses in the congregation, because before you could take communion, you had to do confession. And he was so, that was one of the things he did. Yeah, so um, that's actually a good transition. So you said he'd send his kids? Yeah, so they, they would have to bring them back home. That's good. I thought you meant the kids were hearing the confession. So, so to clarify for the recording here, Pastor Mundinger uh, of blessed memory would would send his children to someone's house so that they would look like they were lost. So that then those parishioners would have to bring them back home, Correct. so that he could talk to his parishioners. That's clever. That's good. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta figure out something like that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that's 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 really good. So no, that that does um, bring us to our next thing, which the next thing we really want to talk about is. Um, Either you can call it whatever you want, individual or private confession and absolution. So in a attempt to make confession and absolution sound less Roman Catholic and less weird to people, the uh, most recent hymnal changed the title to individual absolution. So that way it's not private confession because everyone hears private confession and says that's Roman Catholic. And so they changed it to individual absolution. It means the same thing. Um, so whatever. Um, I think it's better just to teach like what it means and then you don't have to – anyway, it's fine. Um, but 
So sometimes I, I always use this all interchangeably. Sometimes I'll say individual confession. Sometimes I'll say private confession. Sometimes I'll say individual absolution. Sometimes I'll say private absolution. Sometimes I'll say private confession absolution. Any, anyway, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Uh, what we're talking about is a individual person, a private person, and the pastor um, in a room or in the sanctuary, and the person is confessing their sins and receiving uh, absolution directly from the pastor. And uh, I should have printed out a example of the right, but what I'll do is I'll pass the, the hymnal around so that you can see it. Uh, Steve, for the video, if you want, I can send you, um, you can take a picture of this or whatever. Uh, let's see. Um, anyhow, we want to talk about uh, this this practice along with um, other practices of. There we go. One page. I want to pass this around so you can kind of look at that and read it and see what it looks like. Um, so there is this rite in the hymnal that we do. So they say individual confession and absolution. They, okay, that's what they do. Anyway. Um, there's this right in the hymnal that, that you can do, or it can be done in a more casual way. So um, sorry, I'm kind of going all over the place with this. But uh, this practice of individual private confession absolution, uh, let's start here. It, it is historically very normal. So um, this, has been pra- this was practiced uh, in the early church, you know, on the basis of John 20 and Matthew 16. It was practiced all the way up into the medieval uh church and um, Lutherans never kind of got rid of it, right? Um, it wasn't one of the things that went away during the Reformation. So obviously some things that the Roman Catholic Church was doing um, at the time of the Reformation, like um, penance, which is where they do confession and then have to go say a number of Hail Marys and um, pray a number of the Lord's prayers or whatever, uh, that, that went away. But the practice itself of a pastor and a parishioner doing this right together, that did not go away. Um, what Lutheran said is, you don't have to do anything to get the absolution. So the Roman Catholics said, if you want the absolution part, then you go, you have to go do these extra things. That's where the term, uh, that's the um, idea of penance, where you're making a payment for your absolution. Um, and that had to do with the treasury of merits and all this other bad theology in the Roman Catholic Church. But the basic practice itself of confession and absolution uh, did not go away. The, the time that it went away in the Lutheran church is when Lutherans came to America. And um, a, two different things happened, which um, have been the cause of a number of issues in our modern Lutheran American churches. Is uh, First of all, this, this idea of um, union churches... Union churches. So back on the frontier, when a lot of immigrants moved here, uh, there were a number of Lutherans. There was also a lot of different Reformed people around. And Reformed and Lutherans are, you know, kind of close on the spectrum of things. And there were not a lot of pastors, right, as people were immigrating here. So people would immigrate to a community, and then there wouldn't be a lot of pastors, and there'd be these different Christians together. And so what they do is they'd find some pastor, either 
a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or whoever, um, some Protestant pastor, and they'd make a church and they'd call it kind of a union church. And it would start out like Presbyterian churches in the morning and uh, Lutheran churches in the afternoon or something like that. But oftentimes services would end up getting combined and then people would just be like, let's all just do one thing. Um, and so th- this kind of happened. And, and what, what it caused was that um, there were a lot of Lutherans who picked up things from the Reformed. And one of the things they picked up is the practice of um, a corporate um, – I want to – I am really bad at spelling things, if you guys didn't know that by now. Uh, so I just was going to make sure I spelled the word corporate right. P-O-R-P-O. Yeah, corporate. Thank you. Corporate confession absolution. In other words, doing it together. And that uh, is what we do now in the beginning of the divine service. So it used to be that Lutheran services started with the introit, which was the opening hymn, and didn't have the uh, corporate confession absolution. Um, Now we start with an opening hymn because the introit's no longer an opening hymn, and uh, then we have corporate confession absolution, and then, uh, then we go into the introit. So our services could be a little bit shorter if we got rid of that, but that's okay. Um, I don't mind, you know, if you think about how many hours people people spend watching Netflix, like, you can give up an hour and a half for church, you know. Um, I was trying to time our service. I've been trying to time our service so that if the dual parish happens, I can um, make sure I can't have time to leave, but... Uh, I think so. I think we're around like an hour and twenty minutes normally, is what I've been timing. It's not too bad. That's not too bad. So. Because um, we have communion every week. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, you people are making me feel so warm inside. Like, <laughs> no one's complaining about. Okay, that's good. Uh, make it longer. <laughs> make it longer. Uh, so that's. We kind of picked up that practice from Union Churches. The, the other thing that was going on at the same time is uh, the loss of German. So obviously in the German, in the Lutheran German hymnals, um, that wasn't a practice and individual confession absolution was. And um, as Lutherans started doing more American things, especially with Union Churches, they would just use whatever American hymnals they could find. And that's how the... that's. That's kind of the mechanism by which the corporate confession absolution came in. Right, okay. So that's just a fun kind of historical tidbit. But that's how it is important to know like how we got here, right? This is this is what happened. And since people were doing corporate confession absolution, the longer that goes on, right? So this goes on for a couple hundred years, people start saying, Well, why are we doing this and this? Right? Um, so it used to be much more common, even in America, um, so as Norman's uh, grandfather did, that uh, people would regularly schedule at the pastor times to go to confession and absolution. And um, it, the, the, what I've heard, um, I haven't read this, oh, maybe I have, but uh, the, the general practice that, I, that I've heard is, was kind of the general practice uh, for for many many years was that um, it was kind of a normal or recommended amount that 
that a person would go, first of all, kind of as often as they felt they needed to, to confession absolution, but at least four times a year to kind of remain an active member of the church. So just like we say nowadays, because we're really, really relaxed on things, we say, as long as you come to church about once a month, you're an active member, (laughs) right? Well, it used to be that you were an active member if you came to church basically every week, um, unless you were like sick or something, and uh, that you would go to confession um, at least four times a year. So that was kind of the um, general practice for a long time. And um, that's why Norman had to go send out his children to make sure that he could get, <laughs> get the people. Uh, not Norman, but Norman's grandfather. Yeah, his father, who is Norman. That's what he told me. He was like, okay. Yeah. I have his book, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, the only book ever written on the uh, history of governance in the Missouri Senate. So, I, I mean, I read bylaws for fun, so uh, this is, I like, I like that stuff. That stuff. Um, where was I at? Sorry, I was thinking about bylaws and the we Constitution. Lost the German language. Yes, we lost the German language. So, well, um, right. What's that? Did everybody know German back then? Most of the Lutherans did. Because they immigrated from Germany, they kind of stayed in German communities. They taught their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the first English. Um, Lutheran hymnal was published in the 1920s. So um, it wasn't that long ago, really. And most churches had a time, it wasn't really even until the mid-20th century, like the 50s, 60s, and 70s, that um, churches, most churches got rid of their German service. So for a long time, they'd have both German and English services, and then um, eventually got rid of the German. So... um, Trinity used to have a. They haven't recently because they can't. They, yeah, uh, last I heard, they haven't had the German service recently because they can't find anyone to preach for it. So, you got to find a guy that can. You got yeah. So I I told myself when I got here two years ago I was going to learn German and it hasn't happened yet, but still time. But you know, when I went to Germany and I went to uh, the Lutheran church there, my niece and nephew were getting married. I knew everything they were saying. Yeah. Because it was everything. Yeah, very similar service. Yeah. 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 The common service has not changed much. So. Yeah, I just don't know the words. I can't read it. And both, um, both the Reformed common service and the uh, Lutheran common service are basically uh, liturgical descendants, if you will, from what's called the common service from the Church of England, a guy named Thomas Cranmer um, put together. So uh, anyway, that's more historical lore for you. But um, okay, so let me mention two more kind of forms of confession and absolution, and then we'll talk about the advantages and disadvantages of them. So... We got uh, one, two, and then I'm going to come down here so I have room. Uh, Three, we're going to do prayer. And four, uh, we're going to do, I'm going to say mutual for M, uh, consolation um, and conversation, another C, MCC, uh, of the brethren. So this is a phrase 
from the Lutheran confessions, uh, from the small called articles which Luther wrote. And um, can you say that again? Mutual consolation and conversation. Mutual consolation and conversation of the brethren. So first of all, prayer, right? Uh, Luther recognizes this in the catechism that we do have a confession and absolution given in even the Lord's prayer. So we can pray to God and ask for forgiveness of our trespasses um, in a broad way. We can also ask, obviously, in a specific way. So we can pray to God and say, dear God, please forgive me of this sin that I've committed um, that's weighing on my heart. And, uh, and he does send his grace and mercy through prayer. Um, um, mutual, yeah, mutual consolation and conversation. Um, and then what this phrase means, mutual consolation, conversation, so prayer, I think prayer is pretty straightforward, um, is that we can have a confession and absolution with one with other Christians. So um, Luther uh, talks about this in the small card articles, and he's talking about ways in which the gospel is delivered, forgiveness is delivered, and he says, ba- basically, uh, that phrase, right, mutual consolation, is that if you go to a fellow Christian and say, hey, this sin is weighing on me, I've, co- I've committed this sin, and through conversation with a, with a, a brethren, which is a, you know, a fellow Christian, then they can share the gospel with you, right, share that forgiveness with you. So they can, in a sense, give you that, that absolution. Um, I actually wrote a very lengthy paper on this in seminary. And uh, my conclusion was, based on other of Luther's writings, um, he really he thought this was a good thing, but he wanted to really encourage um, the with the pastor as kind of the primary thing, and then uh, going to brethren in um, situations where someone was very conscience stricken and they couldn't get to their pastor, right? So they needed they really needed that that love from um, their their neighbor. But he did want he didn't want that to minimize the uh, practice of co- private confession absolution. So um, anyway, uh, so let's talk about the kind of pros and cons of these things. So or, and then also maybe some concerning the private, some of the kind of common concerns about it as it's not a super common practice anymore in the Lutheran church. So um, I guess we'll just start with that, number one, the private confession absolution. There are some common objections that people have. So since it hasn't been a practice in a long time, when when pastors come in and they say, hey, I'm going to do private confession absolution, people can have a couple negative reactions to it. so the first first one I want to address is uh, that it's too Catholic, right? It's too Roman Catholic, and we're not Roman Catholic. Uh, well, a couple different things about this. One, historically, that's anachronistic, right? Uh, that's not true historically. Lutherans did practice confession and absolution like we talked about up until um, this development of the Union churches and the loss of German and then um, moving forward in English hymnals and then just 
over time, having that corporate confession absolution there kind of driving out the individual, right? So um, first of all, it's anachronistic. Second of all, um, I want to remind you of something we talked about when we talked about the Lutheran confessions and the Reformation, which is that the the Lutherans were conservative reformers. They were not um, extreme reformers. So you have the radical reformers, um, like the generally like the Calvinist, who uh, wanted to just get rid of anything that was Roman Catholic, right? If stained glass, smash it, right? Uh, type of attitude. Lutherans said we want to we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We want to keep. Obviously, there's a lot of problems in the late medieval Roman Catholic Church. We want to get rid of those problems, but we want to keep whatever is good and biblical and gospel-centered. And of course, uh, private confession absolution they considered to be uh, biblical and and gospel-centered. So um, they wanted to keep that. So that those are the two things I'd say about two Catholic is one. Um, just because the Catholic Church has had a practice in the past, uh, well, for the first um, 1,500 years or so of the church, it was basically the Roman Catholic Church. So should we throw out everything that was done in the first 1,500 years of the church, right? Probably not, um, just because it has some correlation to Roman Catholicism. The question we should ask is, is it, is it Bible-based? Is it Jesus-centered, right? Um the, another objection that you can kind of commonly get to this is um, that it's – there's a couple variations of this, but it's too awkward um, or like uh, what will the pastor think of me, <laughs> right? Yeah, so that that's kind of the same thing, yeah. You're not all. Well, yeah. There's a and the whole congregation as a whole the congregation. It's not only old people. Um, I don't think a lot of you are old. Uh, but yes, the the age. Okay, so also age. Yeah, that's a good good point. Um, that's true. Um, yeah, we've experienced things. Yeah. So um, let, let me address. This it, first of all on the just on the awkward point is um, the it, first of all it's less awkward than you think um, if you talk to any pastor or anyone that's done it um, at least in my experience uh, yeah at first it's like oh this is gonna be weird and then it's like oh that wasn't that wasn't that bad right um, it's kind of like you know jumping in jumping into a pool like. You're, you get so worried about how cold it's going to be, and then you jump in, and you're like, oh, it's actually, you know, once you're in the water, it's not that bad, right? So, um, I, and I think what also helps that is that uh, the way that pastors approach this is generally with reverence, right? I, I, so I did say earlier it can be done in a more casual way. Some, some people um, don't want to follow the right. They just kind of want to have a conversation and that's that's fine with me. I mean, I don't really care. But I think the right does help um, doing it out of the hymnal, and we're kind of following along in the hymnal together. Um, and it's this very official act of the pastor. Um, I think that does kind of help make it a little more 
neutral feeling in a way. Um, obviously, it's a very intimate thing, but the it's also a very reverent moment in that sense, if that makes sense. Um, what will the pastor think of me? So first of all, I would point out that the ordination vows that I take in uh, my ordination demand me not to ever divulge any sins confessed to me, right? So even if I was taken to court and they said, you know, you're under oath and we're going to put you in jail for per- or perjury, is that right? Is that what that is? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then, uh, or contempt of court or whatever, yeah. Yeah, not a lot. I want a lot. Uh, I want to... Um, I just wouldn't say anything, right? Yeah. So I'd be in contempt of the court, I guess. Um, right? I would be, I would go to jail, right? Like, I'm not going to confess anyone's sins. Um, I'd rather deal with a human court than uh, deal with God on Judgment Day for that, right? So um, it's it's my job to be the, vo- the mouthpiece of Christ, not to um, sit there and uh, to you know, go out and gossip about whatever you told me or something like that. Um, so first of all, the ordination vows, I, there's a, we call this, um, the confessional seal that it's like, it's, it's like in a tomb, right? So just in the same way that Jesus takes your sins to the cross and dies with them and buries them in the tomb, right? Um, and, and they're sealed away. Or as Micah says, how he, uh, casts them into the depths of the sea, right? Uh, that's, it's all the same gospel. It's all the same concept going on there, right? So um, I'm going to treat them the same way that, that God would treat them because I am acting in the stead of Christ at that moment, right? So um, I can just promise you that I'm not going to ever tell them to anyone. Second of all, um, people really don't believe me about this, but I got to just keep saying it until people believe me. But I honestly like don't remember uh, what people tell me. Um, and I, I think God does give this gift of forget, forgetfulness to pastors <laughs> that um, he, he allows us to just kind of, um, it's just, to, to me in some sense, it's another day in the office, right? Because it's just part of my job. And uh, so to hear someone's confession and pronounce absolution for their sins, um, it doesn't change the way I really think about someone on a personal level. Uh, the, and the, then the final thing to go along with that is that I'm not surprised that you're sinners. <laughs> um, I'm really not. Like, and everyone thinks that they're like worse of a sinner than everyone else, and I'm like, you're really not. Um, I I have also committed grievous sins that I have had to go and confess and receive absolutions for, absolution for. Um, and every confession I've heard, and every confession I've made, um, they're all like, you know, bad sins that. Uh, need absolution, and then they are forgiven, and then that's that, right? So I'm not actually, people are like, you wouldn't ever believe the things that I've done. I'm like, yeah, I would. (laughs) I believe in sin. (laughs) I know it exists. Um, I know that the devil works in people's lives, and, um, but what I want more than them to, for people to um, be worried about that is, you know, I want I care about the absolution part more, right? Like I want to ease people's consciences. I want to, to give that forgiveness. So, um, and then the age thing is kind of the same thing, right? Like, um, yeah, I, I, ha- I may- maybe I have you know 30 years less sin or whatever, um, added up, but I still have a. You'll get 
<laughs> I still have about 30 years worth of sinning, you know, like I'm not. Um, and young men are kind of the best sinners. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Um, so it's not like, um, yeah, I'm just not that surprised. I mean, it's fine. I had all girls in my neighborhood. So I wasn't the only sinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, young men are so prideful, you know, they think they can get away with anything. And um, not to mention other uh, kinds of sins specific to young men. But um, yeah, I'm not surprised, right? So it's uh, it's good. And then um, I guess like if I really wanted to stick the sword in that one, Paul specifically uh, tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age, right? So Obviously, the Bible doesn't think that it matters so much what a pastor's age is. Um, okay, uh, so those are kind of common injections. The final one, which kind of bring us into the next thing, is uh, isn't the divine service uh, confession absolution good enough? Right? Why do I need to go do something extra other than than that? And that brings us to this question of. Um, what is the difference between the sacraments at all, right? So we have um, baptism, we have the Lord's Supper, and we have confession and absolution as these big, the kind of, and then the word um, as these big means of grace. And look, they all have the same gospel, right? It's all Jesus crucified and risen again. So why do we do all these things? Right? Why don't we just preach the word? Or why don't we just come and receive the Lord's Supper? Or why don't we just be baptized and then be done with the rest of our lives? Right? Um, what's the purpose? What? Go ahead. Lord's Supper. Yeah, Lord's Supper. Sorry, I gotta kind of save room on the board. So, um, right? Why do? What's the specific reason we do all these different things? And I would say, first of all, that um, God is abundant in His grace. Right? Grace upon grace, John says. Grace upon grace. The cup overflows. But each of these things does also provide kind of a specific type of forgiveness for us that we we need, right? So um, I've gone through this before. I know I I do this kind of every time we talk about any of these. But uh, let's just run through it again. So baptism is the, if you want to say, the sacrament of identity. This gives us our Christian identity. It tells us who we are, right? So it's this thing we return to throughout our lives that um, whenever we're uh, lonely or we um, doubt our faith, we return to those baptismal waters where we died with Christ and we're risen again with him. It gives us uh, our Christian identity, right? It puts it, it's the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on us. The Lord's Supper is... Um, as it is often even referred to, is that communion with God, right? So uh, as we learned during COVID, uh, Zoom meetings are not the same as real meetings, right? It's different when you see someone in person in the flesh and can hug them and and share a meal with them uh, than it is, you know, online or something like that, right? And so uh, that in the flesh communion with with Jesus, um, that meal that we get to have with God, is 
that personal uh, relationship, that personal communion with God, um, and and the forgiveness of sins that comes with that. Uh, the word, right, is uh, it's the food or, or the nourishment. I mean, you can also think of the Lord's Supper this way as well, but in the sense that a plant needs food to grow, it needs the sunlight and the water, uh, right? Um, the word is what is what nourishes and grows our faith, right? Especially the preached word um, and how it comes to us and is applied to us in God's law and God's gospel. Uh, that that can gives us the growth in our faith, right? That's kind of the day in day out uh, nutrition uh, for our faith, right? Okay. Well, confession, absolution. Um, I think the forgiveness of sins that comes with this is this idea of specificity. Uh, spec, that's specificity, um, something like that. Specificity. That uh, in confession and absolution, when there are certain sins that bother our conscience, right? And this is, I'll quote it again, what Luther says about this. For sins that we do not know of, we should ask for forgiveness for them, uh, in a broad way, like we do in the Lord's Prayer, in for sins that we know of and feel in our hearts, we should go to the pastor and ask for forgiveness of sins. So this idea of specificity that um, that we can specifically, whenever there is a certain sin that bothers our conscience, we can get forgiveness for that sin, right, uh, is a great gift. And that we can say, look, this is the sin that I'm thinking of, and we can hear directly from, um, in the case of individual private confession absolution, we can hear directly from the voice um, of one who is speaking in the stead of Christ, that sin is forgiven as before God in heaven. Right? So, um, does anyone still have that hymnal open? Norman, what's the, uh, or Steve, what, what's the uh, absolution? How's that read? Um, and there, do you believe that, start at, do you believe that God's forgiveness is my forgiveness? Maybe it's on the second page. Right. So the pastor says, do you believe that God's forgiveness is my forgiveness? Oh, and do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? Oh. Yes. Let it be done for you as you believe. Right, let it be done for you as you believe. And then, um, what's the, can, the absolution say? Uh, in the stead by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, forgive you all your sins and your Okay, yeah, so... Just in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So um, you can hear someone speaking, a man that God has appointed in your life, you can hear him speaking that forgiveness directly from the voice of um, the pastor, uh, from God, right? So uh, that is a beautiful gift, right? Especially when someone has a sin where they're like, I don't know if God could forgive this. Right, and then you go to the pastor, and they say, "Yeah, God, God does forgive that." Um, and here is God saying it to you, right, on the basis of what happens in John 20, that that Jesus has given this um, gift to pastors to be able to give to his to their people. Okay, now that specificity can happen in these other three things, but just not to the same degree, right? So. This, in confession absolution in the corporate, 
setting before the divine service, we have that moment of silence. Well, that's kind of the idea is that uh, in the moment of silence there, uh, you have a chance to think about what sins are bothering you. Um, and then you can um, have those on your mind whenever the pastor says, I forgive you your sins. In prayer, you can obviously pray specific sins to God and ask for forgiveness of them. And he does give grace there as well. However, that is easier to doubt, right, than um, the individual or private one. Same thing with the corporate one. Whenever pastor's saying it to everyone and not specifically to you because he didn't hear what thoughts were in your mind during the moment of silence, it's easier to doubt. It's easier to say, well, if he knew what I was really thinking about, he wouldn't say that, right? So um, mutual consolation and conversation of the brethren uh, is, I mean, in some ways it's harder to doubt because uh, you, you at least do have another person there, but um, they can't say in the stead of Christ as a called and ordained servant, right? Um, because they're not in the place of John 20, right? They're not in that same office that Christ has established. And so um, they can give a consolation of the gospel and say, and, and remind you of the truths of the Bible. And that, and, and that, again, like I'm not saying any of that's bad. Like that's all good. And we should actually do all those things as well, right? We should, um, we should talk to each other about the gospel. We should pray to God about our sins. And we should, um, the corporate confession absolution is fine. I don't have any problem with it. Um, but you can kind of see there that there is this, this idea of specificity is especially true in this private confession absolution, right? And so um, I guess I'll just give my shameless plug at this point that um, I have open hours for confession absolution every Lent and Advent, which are penitential seasons of the church here, and then um, by appointment, anytime, right? So anytime anyone wants to do private confession absolution, you just call me up on the phone and, uh, or email me or text me, and then we'll come up with the time. And uh, the way that I've done it here so far is um, in my office, uh, at my desk, have two hymnals open, and uh, we just do it like that. Um, the pastor I went to in college, which I really liked, uh, he would do it in the sanctuary at the communion rail, and um, he would put on vestments like a church service, right? Um, which again just gives that um, <laughs> that. <laughs> she said that Catholic feel. <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, that that. Understand that implicit understanding that the the guy is acting in the stead of Christ, but also maybe a Catholic feel, depending, you know. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty funny. Okay, so. Yeah, right. There's that there. I forgot about that. The, the whole confessional thing. Yeah, and we don't do that because, um, like, why? Right, like. Uh, I mean, maybe that does help people like not think of him like as the person that they know, but um, I don't know. Like, well, don't they think the person recognizes their voice? Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. Well, that's true. But I think it's better to think of it like 
just to recognize like John 20 and the truth of that, that um, like this is a guy who's just a man, but God has appointed him in this office uh, for for your sake, right? So um, anyhow, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the that's bad. I don't do that. Well, the Capices would tell them, you know, we know that you do this, so we go to another church and we do our confession because he won't recognize us. So that's Yeah, well, that's, I don't, uh, yeah, God have mercy on his soul because, uh, I don't want to take that risk on uh, on Judgment Day. So, anyhow, all right. But so what you're saying is that we can do those other three things, but to make it specific or to the the other three things count, but that counts more. Uh, yeah, so that's, no, that's a good question. They they all count a hundred percent. But let me think of an analogy for this, right? So like, um, there. So think of it like this: uh, you can survive um, and have even be even healthy on. A variety of foods and on a variety of diets, right? Mm-hmm. So you can eat, um, you know, you can eat chicken and and rice and uh, and and be healthy, and and everything can be fine. But what's really great is when you get a medium rare steak, right? Okay. If you're me, okay. I mean, adjust the analogy to your preferences, but. Um, there's something especially uh, beautiful and appetizing to me about a uh, you know 16 ounce medium rare ribeye. Um, now, do I, if I went my whole life without a medium rare ribeye, would that be fine? Like, yeah, it, it would, it would, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, but I'd be missing out, right? So I could even be healthy, you know, I could. I could eat like healthy foods. Like these are, all these things are good, healthy, like Christian things, and they're not bad. Like they're also appetizing and tasty. But like they're, when it comes to absolution and confessing sins, there's a, there's a medium rare 16 ounce ribeye, um, you know, perfectly salted, uh, that's, that's there ready to be had. And so I could, you know, not do that and, and be, and there's nothing wrong, right? Like, it's not like I'm going to go to hell because I didn't have the, the, the uh, best steak. But um, that's how I would kind of describe it is like there's this especially beautiful and um, amazing gift that God has given to us in private confession absolution. So, 
Um, I know I greatly benefit from it. Um, I go about four times a year. Uh, I should go more often, honestly, but um, it's harder when you're the pastor because then you have to find another pastor. And um, so that takes a little more effort. But um, Well, another thing, Pastor, yeah. when you were saying that part about awkward and all that, another thing is when I think of it, I think of that analogy, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Because mm-hmm. if you've always done something if you're a certain way all these years, and, and like somebody said, some of us are kind of old, um, it's hard to get comfortable doing yeah, to something think it. Yeah, right. Different. No, that, that's totally true. And um, I, it's interesting. So um, we were talking about in Bible study on Sunday how the communion frequency in LCMS churches has been increasing over the last 50 years. That's that's the same with private confession absolution, that um, at, as we've kind of studied like the history and uh, thought about this more um, and started reading uh, more carefully, pastors in the LCMS have been, um, there was an era where it was completely gone out of practice, right? So mm-hmm. Pastor Elkins, um, you can ask him, but he probably only did private confession absolution a few times or maybe never in his whole career. And that's fine, right? Um, I'm not saying him going to confession. I'm saying him hearing confessions um, as a pastor. Because that era of time um, was the era when this was almost completely out of practice. In the last 20, 25 years, uh, it started to come back more and more into practice. Um, Obviously, some places always did it and never really really fell out of practice. But it's coming back more into practice. And uh, from what I can tell, it's generally younger people who are t- taking more advantage of it, naturally, right? I, I asked. Yeah. the first questions I asked. Yeah, David asked me whenever he got here. He was like, do you do private confession absolution? So uh, young, younger people, you know, millennials, Gen Xers, um, well, and the thing because they're kind of coming up into it. And I know a lot of pastors will like have their confirmation students. Um, they won't force them to con- confess any specific sins, but they'll just uh, have them uh, come and do the just talk through the right with them individually. So that it's kind of like normal for like younger people. Another thing yeah. that, you, that I consider, or kind of your wife see why it's a little bit of a problem to somebody like me. Um, is because those of us who weren't brought up Lutheran, right, and didn't go to a, a Catholic church or anything right, yeah. that had all of the liturgy and all the things mm-hmm. that the church has, all of that had to be learned right. to begin yeah. with. So it, it was a lot to take in when you right. first. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's true. So yeah. that makes for. An and so, like, and and what I point to there is say. Um, that's completely fine, and um, if someone like I'm not gonna ever make anyone do this, right? So I'm gonna te- I'm gonna I'm gonna teach about how good it is, and then if anyone wants to take advantage of it, they can. Um, but like I said, you can be perfectly like a perfectly healthy Christian, and um, it's not like you don't have the gospel, right? If you if you never get this gift, um, but you and so you can be a perfectly healthy Christian with these other things, right? Baptism, Lord's Supper, the preached word, the corporate confession, absolution, confession and prayer, um, 
mutual consolation conversation with brethren. And um, maybe what I'd say is like, if there's ever a time where someone is like very deeply troubled about a specific sin, like that would be the time to like really consider like, maybe I should go to pastor for this, right? Um, if there's like something that comes up that someone's like, uh, like I don't, I really don't know if I can be forgiven of this, then. Right. That's fine. I'll do it. Yeah. That is true. That is true. That actually brings up an important point. So we're out of time. But um, so we still haven't done mortal and venial sin. So we got to do that. But the book does talk about preparing for confession um, and a couple little details about uh, during confession and after confession. Um, so we want to mention those things as well. Um, but yeah, especially about um, what, uh, how do you prepare for confession? In other words, how do you think, um, obviously if a sin just like hits you and you're like, I need to receive confession for this. But there is also... Um, something to be said for uh, Luther will say this in the small catechism about considering your place in life according to the Ten Commandments and um, considering taking time to think about where have I sinned and and what sins are bothering me um, because oftentimes if we don't think if we don't take time to think about it then um, our consciences can can become uh, dulled in that sense right that we're not if we're not ever taking time to think about to to truly consider where sin is in our lives then um, that can dull our consciences and so um, one of the joys of private confession absolution is it does actually kind of force you to think about uh where is there sin that's a problem in my life so uh for whatever that's worth as well but we'll we'll kind of mention that next week as well, I think. So, all right. Any uh, final questions, comments? Sorry, I went five minutes over tonight. I, I have a comment. Uh, yeah, go ahead. You know, I, I think about uh, I grew up Protestant without you know any kind of Catholic. It might as well have been Catholic. Uh, and uh, you know, baptism. I can look to that baptism, that event. I can remember that. I have that. Um, the, that uh, the communion, I can see that, I can feel that, I can taste that, right? The word, mm-hmm. I can open it, I can read it, uh, and you know, I, I pray all the time. I, do I remember the last time I asked prayer for sins? Yeah, I'm kind of on the drive over here. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, you know, do I really, you know, recall that one time with that one particular issue that really bothered me, right? You, you had mentioned, uh, you know, that that big issue, you know, that, that weighs on you that keeps coming back, right? But I can look at it. If, if I ever doubt I am a child of God, I can look to my baptism, right? And if I ever doubt that that sin was ever forgiven, I can look to, you know, my confessor. Yeah, my good, right? Yeah, it, it just provides that whenever, whenever the problem is a specific sin on the conscience, um, it provides that 
absolute surety of forgiveness, right? All right. Um, Let us then close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your abundant gifts and the means of grace, your word, baptism, Lord's Supper, and uh, for confession and absolution. We pray that you would uh, continue to keep these things alive and well in your church, and we pray uh, that we would continue to hear the forgiveness of sins for our salvation in whatever form that comes. We pray this all through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.